Ende. All right. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Everybody sleep good last night. I hope those of you that aren't saved didn't sleep good at all. I hope you saw yourself burning all night, had nightmares, and had enough sense to wake up this morning and realize you need to get saved so that you can know where you're going to spend eternity. Life's bad enough as it is than to not know where you're going when you die. And uh, if that's what you want to do and live a life of uncertainty and all that, then you can be nervous, Nelly, the rest of your life. The thing that's a strange thing to me is, is uh, most people don't realize you have no idea when you're going to die. And when you're the age that you are right now, you know what you think? You think you're going to live to be an old man like me. And there's no guarantee to that. And I realize I may not be old compared to some people, but I'm old enough to be uh, older than most of you here. And as a result of that, I've been around long enough to recognize that um, I've seen them come and go at an early time and an unpredictable time, and you don't ever know. The thing to do when it comes to salvation is to accept today as the day of salvation and don't wait. And don't think. You say, the longer you wait, what happens? Your heart gets harder. And the Lord has to knock a little louder. And he keeps knocking and knocking and knocking. And eventually your heart gets so hard that he can knock as hard as he wants to. But he can't seem to break through to you. So I hope you'll consider that. And I hope you'll, you'll pray about it. Now let me go over these real quick. I've got a, a little ways I want to try to get to this morning before we go to, uh, to lunch at uh, 12 o'clock. So you've got about 45 minutes here. So we've, we've talked about this. I don't need to be redundant and those kind of things. But... We talked about the importance of presenting yourself. That's the real you. We talked about how it's important to be honest with God. If you're not honest with anybody else, be honest with the Lord. If you have uh, problems with yourself or problems with people tell you that you have personality traits or different things like that that you're not comfortable with, uh, before you go see a psychiatrist, go talk to the Lord. The Lord's a great psychiatrist. He goes over there in Mark chapter number 5 after he lands over there dealing with a demon-possessed man. And that man's all messed up in the head. And the Lord can straighten out the things in your head. Sometimes you just need to get things right and get your mind in line with his mind. Uh, medication sometimes will help you if you have a sincere, a, a, a real problem. I'm not making light of that. But sometimes they're a little too quick to go there to anesthetize what is a thing that where the Lord's trying to point you and say, you're a soup sandwich. And you need to get your mind straight. What do you need to do? Well, you come to the Lord, you sit at his feet, and he can straighten out your mind. Uh, at least try that before you try to go to everything else. The answer to everything is not a pill. That's too easy. Sometimes you have to put in some effort. Sometimes you have to put in some work. Sometimes, as we talked about the other day, you, uh, the beginning uh, messages, you have to put in some sweat. you got to make an effort to do this thing called the Christian life. It's like walking uphill. Paul said, I press toward the mark in the high calling of God. Press, that means there's pressure against him to try to move. When Moses dies and he gets ready to the last thing Moses does before the Lord kills him up there and puts him to rest up there in the mountaintops up, uh, looking over into Canaan, you know what he's doing? He's going up a mountain at the end of his life. You know what, as a Christian, you have to recognize you spend more time going up than down. You're less likely to fall going up than you are coming down. Did you know that? 
but it takes more effort to go up. In the Christian life, you're always going against gravity. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. There's always things trying to pull you back down to earth, pull you back down to earth, pull you back down to earth. Our passage we started off with in Matthew chapter number 6 says to set your treasure on things above, not on things below, where moth and rust doth corrupt and thief doth break in and steal. He said, put your treasure up in heaven. Why? Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be. That means there will your thoughts be. That's where your emotions will be. That's where your feelings will be. If you get your emotions in the right place, your heart in the right place, guess what happens? It's like you heard one of the messages already. The right road leads out to the right place. But it has to do with head and eyes. It's like riding a motorcycle. They take you through motorcycle school and things like that, and you have to go through and pass certain things. They teach you. If you look down, you go down. Well, the reason some of you fail in the Christian life, it's really a simple thing. It's because you spend too much time looking uh, in the area where you are, the arena where you are. You need to get your head up. You need to look up for the Lord. The Bible teaches you over in the book of uh, Titus. He said, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He that hath this hope in him purifieth himself. You have a problem with dirty thoughts? Think about what it would be like when Jesus comes. You have a problem messing around with things you shouldn't be messing around with. I don't care if it's Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, pornography, whatever it may be. The stuff that's distracted you from what the Lord told you to do. You think about the Lord's coming. Would you want to get caught doing what you're doing when the Lord comes? No, good, then put it down. That's a simple thing. It really, it's really that simple. You say, it can't be that simple. Listen, man, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I need stuff to go by the kiss theory. I don't, I'm not offended when the Lord says to me, keep it simple, stupid. And then sometimes he's teaching me, he said, keep it stupid, simple. Why? Because there's a simple to learn it. I can understand that. Would you want to be caught doing what you're doing when the Lord comes? No. See, he that hath this hope in him purify himself. That's not just my salvation. The treasure that's in you, Jesus Christ. We're looking for him to come. The body groans. Romans 8. Can't wait to get out of here. Can't wait to get home. You know uh, why? Because I want to get out of here and leave this uh, bag of rags here behind. And so now I'm looking up. Now my mind is on heavenly things. If I'm doing ungodly things, it doesn't fit in with where I'm headed. Right? I can go to work every day and it doesn't have any problem, no conflict whatsoever. The job I do, the work I do, things like that, whether it was in the ministry or what I used to do previously, none of that stuff bothered me. That's not contrary to God's word. Matter of fact, he says you're supposed to earn a living by the sweat of your brow. Do you know what that is, fellas? Sweat? You know what that is? It's not something you do when you're getting ready to take a test you haven't studied for. It's because you're out here applying yourself or you're playing sports or games or something. You're exercising. Your body's breaking out to cool itself off and that kind of a thing. You know what he says? It's right for you to earn a living. If you're ever thinking about ever getting married, you know one of the first things you should do? You should have a job. That's one of the greatest books in the whole Bible, Job. You say, what is it? It says, no, it's Job. No, it's Job. It means you need to get one before you think about getting married. The new qualification for girls anymore isn't looks and it isn't a physique. It's do you have a job? If you have a job, then maybe we might talk to you. And you get ready to court or to date or whatever you, uh, your choosing of the words are for however you come together, the way you come together or how it might be. But uh, it's not a bad thing to work, to keep you honest. It'll keep you busy. It'll keep your mind occupied. Downtime is dangerous time. We talked about that several years ago. I'm going to reiterate some of that for you later on. Just sitting around clicking, 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 clicking. Y'all are addicted now to TikTok and that kind of a stuff because you watch 30-minute clips 
our 30-second clips of things, and that thing changes like this all the time. You say, how do you know what I'm doing? I can tell when I'm talking to you. I can watch what you've been doing. I lose you after about 30 seconds. I've got to recharge it and then do something different. About 30 seconds, you lose it. You've been trained. How many of you know what Pavlov's dog is? Lord, help me, Lord Jesus. <laughs> That's one of the greatest illustrations or examples that there is of human nature that you've ever seen. Pavlov's dog is just a psychiatrist guy, but what he did was is he showed that there is a physiological response to a psychological stimulus. What that means is, is he put a dog in a crate and he put a little bowl down here and it was empty and he would ring a bell and the food would dump into the bowl and the dog would start eating the food. And then he'd do it again 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 and then he'd just ring the bell and you know what he found out? The dog would start salivating, his digestive system would kick in like he was going to eat but there was no food in the bowl. You know what happens when you start doing that stuff? You don't realize it. You're being brainwashed. You say, that's what you're trying to do to me? Yeah, I am. I'm trying to brainwash you. If I could do Chinese water torture, I'd hold you down and drip water on you. Some of you need to be waterboarded. Amen. You say, what? To wake you up. Now, what I'm trying to get across to you is, is that when you do that stuff, it gets you in a mindset. And you know what it does? It dulls your senses of being able to learn things. Listen, have you ever wondered why in the Bible, if you take a look at it, some of you will have a Bible that has black and white writing in it, or white pages of black writing. Some have white pages with black and red writing in it. Where's the pictures? There's not any pictures. Isn't that weird? Why didn't he do that? I can tell you why he does that. He does that so that whenever he gives you a word in there, you paint a picture in your mind. I'll show you how it worked. Are you ready? Apple. Did you see A-P-P-L-E? What did you see? You saw a picture of an apple, or a red apple with a little leaf sticking out of the top of it, or a green Granny Smith, or whatever your favorite apple happens to be. Or maybe you saw a rotten apple with a worm sticking out of it. <laughs> And you're hoping that it's not a half a worm sticking out of it because you're wondering where the other half went, right? But you know what you saw? You saw a picture. You know why he doesn't have pictures in there? He wants you to get his definition of what the word means, not what the world's definition is. The world is all images. Television images and internet images and pictures and pictures and pictures and pictures. When the nation of Israel comes over there into the land of Canaan, you know what happens? They walk into the land of Canaan and the Lord says to them, while you're destroying all the women and all the children and all the cattle and all of this and that and the other, you know what he says to them? Destroy all their pictures. Now, TV or not TV, that's the question, all that other kind of stuff. And I know you can use it the right way and the wrong way. But you got to be real careful with that stuff. You say, why? You generally don't sin without images. Pictures of things. One of you got that. The rest of you are like, oh, no, no, it's pictures in your head, snapshots. Now, the thing you got to be careful about is, is what that does is it anesthetizes your ability to be able to learn. The second thing that will anesthetize your ability to be able to learn is go into learning with a preconceived notion. I already know, what, I already know all about it. I already know where he's going. I already know what he's going to say. I already, I already know everything. You just cut off the ability to learn anything. You may not know everything. You might only pick up a little something, but it can add to what you already know. But if you go in with the idea, I already know everything that there is to know, then guess what happens? You're not there to learn anything. 
You have to be open when it comes to learning. When it comes to the Holy Spirit trying to teach you things, we realize in the Bible He teaches, I need not other man teach me anything. The Holy Spirit's my teacher. We know He's our guide. We know He's our director. We understand all those other kind of things. So when the Lord opens up your mind to try to teach you something intellectually, you have to be open to allow Him to teach you. You know what you can do? You can resist the Holy Ghost. You know what you can do? You can vex the Holy Ghost. You can quench the Holy Spirit. You can grieve the Holy Spirit by being disobedient, by not doing what He wants you to do. And when you do, guess what happens? Spiritually, you stop learning. You stop learning. A great way to stop learning, number three, is, is to be offended by the Word of God. When the Lord says, this is what I said, and this is what I mean, and this is how it is, and you say, yea, hath God said, you cut it off just like that. And the Lord's going to come back to you and He's going to deal with you on that particular thing. And until you get that particular thing right, you just cut it off right there. You don't get to learn any more things. So when it comes to these things right here, i got to be honest with the Lord. He already knows you. Be honest with Him. I mean, tell Him what it is you feel and tell Him how it is that you're hurting. And Lord, you made me this way and how can I fix it if I'm, I'm messed up? Help me to be whatever it is you want me to be. That's why I gave you the illustration of Legion. I gave you that illustration because the first thing the Lord asked that man is, is who are you? In other words, do you see yourself like God sees you? Now, if you'll be willing to do that with God, you'll be surprised. You say, why? Better to do it now than at the great white throne. Better to come to the Lord and admit you're a sinner and trust Him as your personal Savior and just get it square now. You say, why? Well, otherwise, you get to go to the great white throne. That's after you spend some time in hell. Uh, let's say you die right now, you go to hell, and then a rapture happens tomorrow. you still got at least a 1,007 years or so left before you finally go to the great white throne. You're burning the whole time, you know, smoking section down there. You get to uh, go down there and you burn. You come up, you smell like boiled eggs and sulfur, and you stink, and you've burned all over, and you've been in pain and torment beyond anything you can imagine. And you get, you get another opportunity. You know what you get to do? You get to compare your righteousness with God's righteousness. What's God's righteousness? It's in the form of Jesus Christ. And if you can match up to Him, guess what? I didn't say exceed Him. I said match Him. If you can just match, all you got to do is match Him. If you can match Him, guess what? You get in. All you have to do is be as right as He was and never sin like He never sinned, tempted in all points, yet without sin. I mean, not a dirty thought, not a wicked thought, but you get to have Ecclesiastes 12. You get to have your secrets exposed. Not me. You're stupid if you think that. You think I want to get to heaven and have my whole life exposed? I'm not talking about the stuff you see. I'm talking about between my ears. I've had a lot of time to think about a lot of wrong stuff. I'm old now. You want to get up there in front of the entire universe and have that thing laid out for you? Not me, man. I wouldn't want to do it. You say, what are you doing? I'm ducking out. I'll let the Lord take that, put it under the blood, remember it no more, put it behind his back, put it in the depths of the sea, and forget about it. And I get up there to heaven, and the Lord says, here, Peacock, I've heard all about you, Peacock. I know all about you. Give me that book. And he picks that book up, as the old preacher would say, and he flips through that page. He says, what are these pages doing white? They're all blank. And the Lord said, "Uh, they're on me. You can't charge him. They're on me. Now, you are an absolute fool or very, very proud if you can't take that. You know what you're like? You're like the devil. You think you can make it on your own. 
A fellow asked me just the other day. I finished preaching on Sunday. He came as a preacher, asked you a real quick question. I said, sure, can you walk with me? I'm, I'm in a hurry. We're walking back to where my office is. And he said, you know, I have a hard time understanding what you were talking about today. He said, doesn't the devil realize that the, uh, the, what the Bible says and what's going to happen in his end? And I said, yeah, he realized it, but he doesn't believe it. He said, what? And I said, he thinks he's going to change it. You know why you hadn't got saved? I can tell you why you hadn't got saved. You think you're going to change your eternal destination by yourself. You think one day you're going to be laying up there as an old man after you sowed all your wild oats and all you've done, all that you need to do, and you're going to be up there and say, okay, I've done everything I want to do now, and I'm going to go ahead and trust the Lord so I can get me a little fire insurance and get me a cabin on the side of the mountain up there and get me a, a brim buster and a bobber and I'll catch me some brim for eternity and all that kind of stuff. No, you won't. No, you won't. The Lord will shut the door just like he closed the door in the days of Noah's flood and you'll find yourself drowning in judgment. You say, when should you get saved? I wouldn't even wait till I got finished talking this morning. I'd get your behind up right now and I'd go find a preacher in here and say, hey, hey, can I get this thing fixed right now? I mean, right now. You say, well, preacher, you're just trying to put pressure on me. Yeah, I'm trying to put pressure on you. Sure I am. I'm not ashamed of putting pressure on you. That's exactly what I'm doing. This idea of this man be painted, pink-blooded, cotton-string, backbone preacher gets up and says, Oh, now, I guess, so let's all be nice to one another and be kind and, and be gentle and all that. Not when it comes to heaven and hell, man. It's a matter of where you're going to spend eternity. You guys are living next to, for this week, next to guys that are lost. You guys, girls, are living next to girls that are lost. You don't have enough uh, uh, backbone to tell them, Hey, I don't want to see you go to hell. Let's pray. What's the matter? Are you embarrassed? Yeah. Yeah. Mike and back about what? Yeah. You're not embarrassed to run around and look like a fool, paint your hair blue or pink or whatever and all that other kind of stuff. For the games, I understand that. You're not embarrassed to make a fool of yourself and that kind of a deal. Well, how about make a fool of yourself for the Lord? How about saying, hey man, listen, it's camp. Why don't you get saved? It's a good time that way from now on. You can always tell everybody, yeah, I got saved at youth camp. Some idiot came up and yelled at me and screaming at me from Florida, but he didn't do anything for me, but the Holy Spirit sure got a hold of me. You know what, some of you hardheads, you know what the Lord might do for you? The Lord might save you and call you to preach. That'd be scary, wouldn't it? I know why you didn't get saved. I know why you didn't get saved last night. You still got some things you want to do. And you think if you get saved, you're not going to be able to have the fun you've been having. You're jonesing. You can't wait to get out of here to get back to that foolishness. Well, we better get back to this. this was, that was all free of charge. Don't put that on my account. The lunch just got moved to 1215. <laughs> when you find something that's wrong, you know what you better do? You better examine yourself, the Bible says, to see whether or not you be in the faith. That's whether or not you're saved. And if you are, when you find those things, you have to have an excavation, elimination, and eradication. We talked about roots and grass and, and debris and stuff that's in there. Talked about getting the big backhoe in there and pulling it out, throwing it up on the burn pile. Now, it's an important thing for you to do. And I hate to tell you this, and I'm ashamed to tell you this. I have to do it every day. You say, why? I find something within probably 15 or 20 minutes out of getting up every morning, I find something that's not in my life that is not in line with his life. And I haven't even said good morning to my wife yet or got my first cup of coffee. And I already realized right off the bat there's something in me that ain't like him. And I have to say, Lord, I need to get rid of that and I need to work on that. And the Lord said, get the jackhammer. We'll get as much of it out today as we can. I'm still working on some things I've been working on for more than 10 years. 
You say, what is it? It requires some steady work. It keeps you busy, though. <laughs> also keeps you humble, doesn't it? To realize you're not perfect yet. I know some of you think you're angels, but <laughs> you're not quite there just yet, right? All right, now we talked about this yesterday, and we got through the majority of these things here. I want to give you a couple of more here, but I wanted to show you that you have to allow suffering. You say, what? That's God's jackhammer. That's God's pressure cooker. You ever realize that uh, when you take a pressure cooker, nowadays they have these things called Instapots. Uh, an Instapot, you know, thing where you get there, you can cook it. That's, that's made of an old-style pressure cooker. Uh, back in the days, what they'd have, especially in Alabama up there, the farm and that kind of a deal, you had this stuff, and they would throw some of the hardest, roughest, toughest cuts of meat in there. And then my Nana would put a little flour in there, a little salt and pepper, and a little bit of water, whatever she was going to put in there. And then she'd take that the, the deer roast or whatever, didn't have much fat in it, put a little pork butt in there and that kind of a thing. And then she'd take that uh, aluminum pan uh, and, and that black handle and she'd turn that thing over and put the latch over the back of that handle right there. That's to keep you from opening it up before they let the steam off. And then in the top, it had a little thing up there with a temperature gauge on it. And that thing would sit on the stove and it'd go... And it would pressure cook that meat. Not only did it cook it faster, but it made it more tender. And then what you had to do is, is that when they got ready to the amount of time they wanted the meat to cook or whatever it might be, uh, and turn, I mean, I've seen it turn bones into just like soup and that kind of a deal. They get the pressure, you know what you have to do before you bust that handle? You bust that handle, man, it'll blow a hole in the ceiling. And you say, what do you have to do? You got to let the pressure off. And once you let the pressure off, you crack it open, you say, what happened? What went in hard and tough and mean and rough and full of all kind of sinews and all that? The stuff comes out and you can cut it with a fork. It's just as tender as it can be. Suffering's God's pressure cooker. God puts you in the pressure cooker and you go in rough and tough and mean and, and like a bull in a china closet and you feel like, boy, you can take on the world and you got an edge to you or whatever. The Lord will put you in his pressure cooker and put you through a few things. And the next thing you come out so nice and tender. <laughs> you say what? You can do a lot more when you're tender. Some of you are pretty hard-hearted. You're too calloused at your age. You've, been, you've seen too much at an early age. You're like war kids, some of you. You've seen too much. All right, look if you will, please. I was going to start in Matthew, but I need to finish this thing up here. Look at Hebrews chapter number 11. The purpose of this thing is to perfect you. Uh, many people think that they're already perfect. You're not perfect. Hebrews chapter number 11. Is this making any sense to you at all? I'm trying to make sense of suffering. So maybe one of these days you get along here and you forgot you even knew it in camp and maybe you get 10 years down the road and something happens in your life and you're trying to make sense of it and you go, oh, wait a minute, I'm in the Lord's pressure cooker. When you get in the Lord's pressure cooker, don't, don't try to jump out until he lets the pressure off. You say, why? You want to wait until you're completely done. I wish I could tell you that you get done in one cooking, but it doesn't work that way. He cooks you just long enough, and then he puts you out for a little while, and he puts you back in and cooks you a little longer. And there's other things he's trying to do while he's seasoning you up and tenderizing you and making your heart to be what he would have it to be so that you can help other people. Ministry, serving other people, that's the whole object of what you're doing. It's not just to get treasure, gold, silver, precious stone. It's like I showed you about Joseph. God put him through all those things for the benefit of feeding others. 
It wasn't just about him getting to be in number two in the in the, uh, uh, the the system that was there under Pharaoh, and him getting the Pharaoh's daughter, and him being in charge of all the things. I mean, that all looked good. That was so that when it came time for him to feed the promised God's seed, which was his brothers that were there, that the Lord used him to feed them. That's all God's trying to do with you: make a pipe out of you. He's just trying to help you to be able to serve other people. And if you get that thought in mind and make it not about you, but make it about others, you are a long way in the Christian life. Do you remember the old preacher a lot of times he would do? I've seen him do it, oh, I don't know, a a number of times. I'll just say it that way instead of put a number on it. And I've seen him do that old gospel punch board a multitude of times. There's something so profound about that stuff. It's so simplistic. It makes you want to preach it yourself, but nobody can preach it like he preached it. But he would do a thing called joy. And he'd write on the board, he'd say, J-O-Y. And he'd say, now here's the way to have joy in your life. Everybody wants joy in their life. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And if you don't serve the Lord with gladness and joy of heart, the Lord will put a yoke of iron on you in Deuteronomy 28. And he says, if you want to have joy, he said, it's Jesus first. Well, who doesn't know that? And then he said, here's the hard part. It's others second. And it's yourself last. That's profound. That's unlike Christianity today. We have it completely inverted. It's, it said, uh, it sounds like some kind of a Chinese or a Japanese words of something. It's like yodj. Because why? We put ourselves first, we put others second, we put Jesus on the bottom. And so then he would say this. He said, now if you want to have joy, he said, what you do is you put Jesus first and nothing, zero, nothing between you and him. That's profound. You say, that's a nursery rhyme. That's so silly. Yeah, that's from an old man that died 90-something years of age, still serving the Lord and still doing what's right, and think he knows a little bit about serving the Lord after 65 years of, of serving the Lord. I'm going to probably listen to somebody like that. He served the Lord longer than some of you have ever been alive. Some of you won't live to be that long. So what am I going to do? I recognize in me that whenever I put myself ahead of others, I lose my joy. And if I put myself ahead of Jesus, I lose my joy. If I've lost my joy, it's because of something I did. It isn't Jesus being mad at me. Look at this thing when it talks about perfection. Hebrews chapter number 11. Uh, And look, if you will, please, I think it's verse number 40. That's it. Hebrews 11, verse number 40, 40. God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made what? Perfect. He gave you a promise and you know what he wants you to do? He wants you to apply it to other people. Come to Hebrews chapter number 10. You're the only hope that other people have. Let me ask you a question and this is a pointed question. Uh, How many of you have found Jesus on your own? Can I see your hand? All by yourself. Did somebody tell you? How many of you did somebody tell you about Jesus? Look around the room. Well, now, if that's the case and somebody told you about Jesus, how do you think other people out there are going to find out about him? He's using you. Of all the things the Lord could do, he winds up using a human mud pile and and takes him out there and he says to you, now, listen, there's something I'd like for you to do. Be in fellowship with me and walk with me and talk with me and spend time with me. But while you're down there, don't make it all about you. Why don't you tell somebody else about Jesus Christ? Why? Well, that's how you got in. Pay it back. Tell somebody else about him. You say, why? You appreciate him. I'm glad it happened to be for me. It was my dad. But he wasn't the only one that ever witnessed to me. That wasn't the first time I'd ever heard the gospel. 
He's the one that finally put me in the boat. I understand that. But ladies and gentlemen, you have to recognize that we're more than just trying to get something for ourselves. The treasure that's in the earthen vessel is Jesus Christ. And you're the vessel by which you can introduce somebody into what's already in you. You have to be willing to spend a little bit of time with some other people. Uh, running around with the wrong crowd doesn't help you at all. So I'll be all things to all men. No, you won't. You'll wind up with them drowning you. Second, or Hebrews chapter 2, look in verse number 10. For it became him for whom all things and by whom all things are bringing many sons into glory. We're in Hebrews chapter 2. To make the captain of their salvation. Look at it. Do you see it? Hebrews 2.10. How are you made perfect? Through suffering. All right, now we'll go over to Titus, I mean, uh, uh, Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter number 2. 2 Timothy 2. We talked about this briefly yesterday and I didn't get around to the end of it. Second Timothy chapter number 2. Look, if you will, please, in verse number 11. We talked about your suffering because it gets your rewards at the judgment seat of Christ yesterday. Here it is, same passage again. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer... We shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. And I don't have time to go into all the things that are there, but the Lord gave you that suffering, that perfection that we find in 1 Timothy or 1 Peter chapter 5. He gave it for a purpose. It's not to punish you. Now let me clarify something real quick here because we as preachers sometimes have a tendency, you know, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. That's a true statement. The Lord will put the paddle on your behind when you need to paddle on your behind. But more often than not, my personal experience is he's merciful and gracious and long-suffering with me. And he has given me that side of him much more than he's given me the other side. God's not sitting up there looking. He can't wait for you to mess up so he can smack you. He already knows. If you read the Bible and spend much time in the Bible at all, he already knows you're feeble and frail as dust. He knows when he saves you, you are whacked out and you're going to mess up. So if he's just looking for a chance to, to bust your hind in, like a lot of people do try to tell you, he's got plenty of opportunities. He doesn't have to look for one. All he's got to do is give it time. You're going to mess up. We say, well, well, why does he put that in there? He puts that in there so that you recognize without the Lord, you can't do what needs to be done. Watch Philippians 4. I can do all things through Christ. That's 13. I can do all things through Christ that what? Strengtheneth me. I can't quit this habit, I can't quit that habit. Well, then, then he's a liar. He said you can. That didn't mean you can go up here and jump off the building. You could jump off the building. It don't mean you don't break nothing. You don't be stupid when you apply the passage, but he says you have the ability to do that if you want to take that chance to do it. God gave you this treasure in earthen vessels not just to make you better, to make you stronger, to get you rewards of the judgment seat of Christ, to allow you to rule and reign with him, but to share that thing with other people. Why else are you here? Do you ever wonder what life is? Why are you here? Make a living, get a house, get a car, enjoy a little bit of life and things like that. Get a wife and, uh, or a husband and have a couple of kids and watch them go to college or be successful. Is that all there is to life? Why after he saved you, if he's looking for perfection, why didn't he just kill you? Right? I mean, that's, that's what would happen. You know, the only way that you can show the Lord you love him is that you keep trying to be more like him. What's at test is not your perfection. What's, in te- what's being tested is, do you love me? Lord, I love you. Keep my commandments. Lord, I keep failing. Yeah, but I like to see you try. 
I remember playing ball a long time ago and may not have been the greatest ball player, but I was, you know, maybe had a little bit of, of ability to do a couple of things and, and play an outside linebacker and a defensive end and switch back and forth between those things. This is a bajillion years ago. And I'm playing across from this big old tackle that's on the outside on this side. They ran a front four there. And I'm supposed to turn the play in and let the play come to the inside so that the middle linebacker can, and the, can make the, and the nose guard can make the play. And this guy would come at me, and I'm telling you, he wiped the ground with me so many times. The whole back end of my uniform was covered in grass stains. I had, uh, in the back of my uh, football britches there, I had sod and I had dirt and all kind of stuff, man. I had grass stains all down my hamstrings, man. I mean, he drugged me all over that field for the entire day. I don't know why the coach didn't take me out until a little bit later on. And I never, I don't think I made a single play the whole night. I don't think I made a single tackle. I, don't, I, I couldn't shake the guy. He would come at me, man. It was like getting run over by a herd of buffalo. And the two pulling guards would come over to the other side, the one pulling guard, the other guard. And they'd knock the tar out of me, man, and then run over me like a herd of buffalo and just leave me there and I'd get up again, man. The front of my uniform looked like I just stepped out of the locker room, <laughs> except for sweat and a little bit of blood on it. I didn't, I mean, it looked like, man, is that guy even playing the game? But man, when I walked away, it's like, mm. They've been wiping the floor with this guy. They dug trenches with me all over that field the, the whole time out there. I got done, man. We got through. We got our hind end beat, boy. I mean, war slap out, man. And I'm walking off, and I'm holding my helmet, and I'm all down to this. My dad comes along, man, and he smacks me on the hind end, and he said, that's a good game, bud. I guess that's a good daddy, you know. He tells you he played a good game. I said, Daddy, that's one of the sorriest games I ever played in my life, man. He said, I said, I never made a play. He said, yeah, but you kept getting back up. Coach comes in the locker room, peacock! And I thought, oh boy, here it comes. And in those days, they didn't wait and take you in the room and have a private session with you. I mean, they would chew you out in front of everybody. Now, you got to understand, I'm raised in a day and time where if you made a bad grade on your report card where I came from up in Tennessee, you went in and had your report card read in front of the entire team up there in the, in the auditorium, and the coaches were sitting up there going through your report card, and one coach would read it, and the other coach, well, they would take turns who was was going to deliver the paddle. If you got below an S, which was satisfactory, it graded in conduct, you got one SWAT for an S minus and two SWATs for a U, unsatisfactory. And if you made anything lower than a C, it was one SWAT for a D, and back then it was an F, you had two SWATs for an F. And what's bad is, is after you get paddled in front of everybody, the whole football team's watching you. After you get paddled there, you get home, dad gets it, he says, come on back here, bud. And you know, well, dad, the coach is already taken care of. No, no. If the coach had to give you one, I got to give you one. That's where I was raised. Coach calls me in there to the thing. He comes into the room, man, and he's like, Peacock, first name he said coming out. And I thought, well, here it comes, man. I'm fixing to get my hind end chewed out. He said, grab me by the shoulder pads, and he pulled me up there, and he said, good game. I'm thinking, you must be, back then they didn't have crack, but I'm thinking he must be smoking crack in the future somewhere. I said, good game. I said, Coach, I kind of welled up just a little bit, you know, and I said, Coach, I didn't make a single play all night long. He said, but you tied up that tackle for the whole game. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. I, I did, you know. <laughs> 
Well, you know what the Lord's interested in? He looks down there at you as his kids, you know, and he sees you getting knocked on your can and knocked on your can and knocked on your can. He sees the back end of your uniform dirty and nasty and filthy, and here they come again running like a buffalo, and he sees you hunker down, and he sees you lean into it, and you know you're fixing to get the snot knocked out of you, and he watches you, and blam, he runs over. He says, hey, Gabriel, Michael, come here. Watch this. I said, man, he got run over like a freight train. He said, yeah, but watch this. He got back up. He got back up. You see, you have a misconception that God is expecting you to be perfect. You know what he likes? He likes the struggle. He likes that you keep getting up. You get your head handed to you. You get your nose busted. You mess up. You fess up. And that's where a lot of people stay, right there. Well, I'm just no good. I'm rotten. I just keep failing. I just keep messing up. I just keep struggling. I just keep coming. And all the coach wants to see is get back up. Just get back up. You say, is that what the Christian life is? That's the Christian life. In a nutshell, that's the Christian life. You say, what is it? It's going from one failure to the next. It's not about all these victories. Every now and then, the Lord lets you see somebody get saved. Every now and then, the Lord lets you get a little victory. He lets you see something. He'll give you a handful of purpose to help you along the way and give you a little pat on the hind end and say good game to you every now and then. But the majority of the Christian life is, is, Lord, I keep falling short. Good, keep trying. If he wanted you to be perfect, he'd just go ahead and kill you right now. Because as soon as you die, guess what? You're perfect. <laughs> All right, Hebrews, or, or where are we at here? Hebrews chapter 10, I already gave you that. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. If I could instill one thing in you kids, it's just to continue to keep trying and don't give up, right? When you, the temptation is to give up, just keep trying. And uh, if somebody's always talking about your failures, your failures, your failures, and your past, and your past, and your past, and what you did, and what you did, and what you did, they're too consumed with your life. Say, yeah, it's what I used to be. Go ahead and own it, but I'm not that anymore. Can you please stop talking about it? I'm ashamed of it. I'm sorry I let you down. Apologize. But can you stop reminding me of who I was and what I did? Can you let me live a life past my reputation? Do you realize associations directly affect reputations? We'll get to that in just a little while. Ephesians chapter number 4. Look, if you will, please, in verse 13. A very familiar verse here. For the perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body of Christ, till we come to the unity of faith the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The Lord said He's going to keep on working on you. Colossians chapter number 2. He's going to keep on working on you until you get to the place that you're just like Him. You'll be conformed to His image one day. And I hope that day won't be too long. All right, the other thing is to establish you. That's to establish is your word. That's an old English word. Establish just means to, to firmly plant you. And Bible teaches you over in the Ephesians chapter number 6. He said, having done all to what? Having done all to what? Stand. Stand, therefore. It's not always about advancement. It's not always about moving forward. It's always about going up the chain. It's just a matter of can you hold your ground? 
if I could just find some men that can hold their ground. They're not like trying to nail jello to the wall. They're just late loyal. They're just faithful. They're just staying there day in and day out and day in and day out. And they do the thing that's the most difficult thing to do. It's not something new. It's the stinking routine duty. It's the same thing every day. It is called the monotony of the ministry. You say, what is it? You're dealing with people all the time and you're dealing with unsaved people and you're dealing with people that are hung up in the bushes and people hung up in the briars and people with broken legs and things like that. And in the meantime, you have to read and you have to study and you have to prepare and you have to preach and you got to get sermons ready and you got to do school and you got to do this, you got to do that. And then you go to sleep and wake up the next morning and remember, oh man, I forgot I was supposed to say something to my wife during all that. And now you got to reset and you say, hey, baby, how are you doing? All that kind of stuff. Well, you were here all day yesterday and you never spoke to me. You never talked to me. You never did anything with me. I know, honey, I'm starting all over. And <laughs> Let's renew our vows right now. And Father, bless this union. And that kind of a thing. And then you go through that. And then you ignored something in the ministry. And so what do you do? You go back the next day and you're trying to find the balance. You're trying to find the bottom. You're trying to find where's the right balance between work and family and between school and family and between church and family and between all those other kind of things. And you know what you see on a regular basis? The monotony of the ministry. That's life. They try to show you a movie and show you a person's movie from birth to death in a matter of a couple of hours with not counting however many commercials they have in there. And that thing's moving all the time like that. Life don't move like that all the time. You go ask a crackhead anytime you've been around one. After they've had that first couple of pops and they've been around and they spend their whole life, you know what they do? They do the same thing you do. They wake up every day and they go pursue what they're after and their whole life is spent trying to pursue that high. It's the same thing every day. It's routine duty. I was at the old preacher's house one day, and we were looking at some pictures on the wall. I've used this before, but it's a, a good illustration. He's showing me a picture. There's a guy sitting down there. He's got his britches have been tore off halfway, you know, and he's got his shirt off. He's out there in the blazing hot sun. He's got his hands down there in his, or his uh, face down there in his hand, and he's looking down there, and there's a snake crawling out there across the road, and I mean across the sand in front of him there. There's a big old lion up over the back of him right there, and he just sits there. He just has this real dejected, real, real, real downtrodden look about him. He looked like Elijah under the juniper tree with no tree. Man, I mean, he's just upset. And the preacher says, he says, what do you see there? And I said, oh, I don't know. I guess that's, uh, I guess that's probably the devil fixing to get him, you know, and that's probably sin right there. And I, he said, no, you missed it. Let's go eat. And I said, okay, well, tell me what it was. Or, you know, he's like, no, you missed it. Let's go eat, you know. So we go back and I couldn't wait. I finished eating. I went over there and I'm looking at it again. He said, what do you see? He said, I'll give you a hint. He said, that right there, he said, that picture is a picture of the number one killer of Christians. And I said, well, I guess that would be Satan. He goes, oh, no, no. He said, compared to this thing right here, he said, Satan's just a little snake on the ground. He said, you see the lion right here? And I said, yes, sir. I guess that's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's about to devour the snake and all. He said, no, that's the killer of Christians right there. I said, well, what, what, what would that be stronger than Satan? He said, routine duty. Routine duty. He said people get bored with the Christian life because it's the same thing every day. There's no real highs and no real lows, just every day, just what'd you do today? What I could. Martin Luther said if, they, if he knew when the Lord was coming back, he said, what would you do? You know what he said? It's profound. You know what he said? I'd plow my taters. 
That's profound. If you knew the Lord's coming tomorrow, yeah, I, I'd plow my taters. What? I, if I think the Lord might come today, I still got to eat. Routine duty. You're always looking for something to spin you up, something to get you excited, something to get pumped up and all that kind of stuff. It's like nowadays they've replaced them in the charismatic church with leotard-wearing, ribbon-flinging uh, girls running around all the kind of stuff as, as cheerleaders. And now what they want the preacher to do is to pump you up. And it becomes to be this motivational time that we're supposed to be motivational speakers and, and to get you all excited. Well, I hate to get you excited for a big letdown. And the letdown is, is that, listen, it's life. You wake up and you do what you did the day before. And if you messed up the day before, you try not to mess up that day. And that's what life is. And I'm an old man. Don't that just tell you something to really look forward to? It's like, really, that's all there? No, there's happiness through there. There's joy through there. There's a peace that passes all understanding through there. But as far as the basics of life, that's life. It's routine duty. Isn't that exciting? You see why it's the number one killer of Christians? They come to church and they're expecting the you know, Shekinah glory to shine and manna to fall out of heaven and stuff like that. And you know you get ice cream from up there in the uh, manna refrigerator and that kind of thing. That's in the Bible. It's called a hoary frost, that ice cream in the Bible. It is for me anyway. Colossians chapter number 2. Colossians chapter number 2. Look, if you will, please, at verse number 6. The Bible says this, He hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places uh, in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and kindness. What's He trying to do? I got it wrong. I'm reading Ephesians. Y'all should have caught that. Colossians 2. Y'all are going, He has one of those living Bibles. There it is, Colossians 2, verse 6. And ye having therefore received, that's it, Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein in thanksgiving. What's he trying to do? He's trying to establish you. Look across the page there, across the chapter to Colossians chapter number 1, and look, if you will, please, in verse number 10, he's also doing it to try to strengthen you. You do know that weight creates strength, right? When you apply weight, and they, uh, they've got some uh, bags up here, I think the 50-pound, 100-pound, 150-pound bags of, uh, of sand. Brother Barry's got that. Brother him and Brother Joe go out and lift sandbags and all. I think they must be expecting Noah's flood or something because they're sandbagging for it or something. But they're out there lifting those bags. It's easier to lift a 50-pound bag than it is a 100-pound bag. You know that, right? But if we lift the 50-pound bag enough times, eventually we get strong enough that we won't be able to lift the 100-pound bag as much as the 50-pound bag, but we'll get strong enough that we can then get where we can pick up the 100-pound bag, and then we get to the point where we can pick it up enough times where we can pick up the 150-pound bag. When the Lord allows weight or pressure to be put on you, it's not just to tenderize you, it's also to make you stronger. Weight creates strength. Look, if you will, please, in uh, Colossians chapter number 1, verse number 10. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power, unto the patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. Now, one last thing. Look in Colossians chapter 1 there. Look in verse number 23. This has to do with being settled. 
and being settled, it'll get us to where we're going to go as far as the foundation is concerned here. Colossians 1.23, if you continue in the faith, grounded in settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard which was preached to every creature which is under heaven whereof I Paul am made a minister and rejoice in my sufferings for you and so on and so forth so what does the Lord give you those things for he gives you that thing to pervert to perfect you to establish you and then to strengthen you because the power comes from the pain of having to go through those things when you get settled that means until you apply those things, you know what happens? You'll stagnate. You ever been in the Christian life and you just feel like you're just kind of walking around in a cesspool? You have to have an outlet. You, can, you guys have got Bible-believing preachers that come to you and they give you more stuff in one sermon than most preachers will give you in six months of sermons. The problem is, is that if all you do is take it in and there's never an outlet for it, it does what's called stagnation. Water that doesn't move stinks. Now, one of the ways that you know that this can happen is if you pay attention to what comes out of your mouth. You ever go to the doctor before and you get to the doctor and the first thing the doctor says to you after you sit down, he says, hello to you and how are you and I'm fine and how are you feeling and I'm fine and I'm doing great. Well, if you're fine, why are you in the hospital? Why are you in the doctor's office? Well, I've I'm, I'm, got this problem, that problem. You work through all the niceties and then what does he say to you a lot of times? He takes out a tongue depressor and he says, stick out your tongue. You know, you can tell a lot about your relationship with the Lord if you just listen to how you talk. If you listen about who you talk about, if you listen to what you say, you say, what is that? You're stagnated. You say, what comes out? Bitterness, anger, wrath, cussing, foul language, dirty jokes, nasty thing. That's a cesspool. That's a septic tank that's in your heart. You say, where's that coming from? You're putting the wrong stuff in there. You're pumping sewage into your brain. Now, I don't think, I'm not trying to be gross here, but if you had a portal lit out here, a portal Johnny out here, I, I doubt many of you go out there and say, you know, I, I'm, I'm really thirsty. I just go out there and dip my cup down in the bottom of that portal Johnny and pour it in. That's, that's disgusting, isn't it? But you don't think anything about pumping that stuff into your brain. And then when you get under pressure, what comes out? Vomit. It's just, it's just nasty. It's foul. Have you ever listened to yourself talk? Y'all all have phones. I know all of you have phones. Have a recording thing on the phone? You ought to record yourself for a day. It'll make you nauseated. You'll be more careful when you do it at first. But after a while, if you listen to how you talk and what you talk about, you'll understand that the problem is you're bitter on the inside and your water is stagnated and that's why you're talking about all the filthy stuff you're talking about. And it doesn't always have to be vulgar. Sometimes it's just talking about and spreading gossip. Not using foul language, just saying stuff you have no business saying. You say, what happened? You got stagnated. There's no outlet. You've taken in and taken in and taken in and taken in, and there's no outlet. How's an outlet? Tell somebody about the Lord. If you don't have something good to say, keep your mouth shut. But that stagnation happens, and then guess what happens? It begins to stink. Now, here we are. We're fixing to hit the foundation. We've got a couple of days to finish this. I've only got about five more minutes. I want you to take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter number 7, first of all, and then we'll go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you can bear with me for about maybe uh, four minutes here, I realize I'm right on the time limit. I hope and pray I'm not boring you to tears. <coughs> Matthew chapter 7. Sometimes I, I think I know what I'm talking about, but I don't know if I convey it to you in a, in a digestible fashion. 
but I know where I'm trying to go with the thing to try to help you to resolve some of the problems you're going to have. This is a story everybody talks about and everybody knows, and it's one of those stories like Noah and the Ark and Samson and Delilah and David and Goliath and that kind of thing. And the Bible says this in verse number 24, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. Now, he's been teaching them. So for you and I, it would be like this. It would be the Lord is fixing to make an illustration about uh, what it is when you listen to what God says and you do them. That means you apply. Remember we talked about application. You remember that? So you can hear it, but if you don't apply it, then it doesn't do you any good. If I tell you that you need to do certain things in order to be successful, but you don't do those things, you may know that those things are required to be successful, but if you haven't applied those things, it doesn't do any good. Application becomes important. So he says this to you in verse number 24, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man that built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and bit the house, uh, uh, beat upon the house, and it fell not before it was founded. The foundation is what? The rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall like and be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell, and great was the fall thereof. It and it came to pass when Jesus ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. In other words, he wasn't wishy-washy. You know what he just said to you? It's very profound. Look in First Corinthians chapter number three. It's very profound. He just said, if you want to be wise, you do what I tell you, you have to apply it. Let me show you something real quick here. Just to, I, I'll hold off on 1 Corinthians 3. If you know the gospel and you don't apply the gospel, you still go to hell. Right? It effectually, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 14, 15, right along there. 1 Thessalonians, you know what he said? When you listened to us, you received it not as it were as the word of men, but it was in fact the word of God that effectually worketh in you that, you know the last word? Believe. Belief is what activates it. So you can know it and not believe it, and guess what? It's not activated. So if you're here and you're lost, you know what it is? Hey, I already know that. I, I do know that. I, I know that Jesus died, buried, rose again the third day. Yeah, I've heard that all my life. Have you believed it? Well, I, I, I actually believe it. Did you apply it? If you don't apply it, you know what it does for you? Nothing. Doesn't do anything at all. You say, what happened? Then you die and you still go to hell. You say, yeah, but I knew it. Yeah, but you never applied it. So when it comes to this stuff here, and we're going to have to stop so you don't be uh, late to go to lunch, but when it comes to these things here, ladies and gentlemen, you have to recognize the importance of application. The Lord himself, if you have one of those Bibles that has it written in re the red letters of Jesus, you'll find the Lord is the one speaking. And you know what he said? You want to be wise, you do what I tell you to do, and you apply it, and you'll be like a wise man that built his house on a rock. The foundation is sure. No other foundation can any man lay than that which is Jesus Christ. And if I want that foundation to be sure, then when the trouble comes, the floods, the rains, the wind blows, the house will stand strong because the foundation is strong. But he said, if you don't apply it, you're building a house on the sand. And if you build a house on sand, when the trouble comes, as if to say, whether it's built on the rock or on the sand, trouble's going to come. Job says, man is born under trouble as the sparks fly upward. If that's the case... You better be careful how you build upon the rock or the sand. The choice of the foundation becomes more important than the excavate, I mean the elevation of the house. 
Father, I pray you'll bless your word here and help these young'uns and keep them awake for the afternoon. Help them to have a great time and fun. Protect them. Don't let them get hurt. And bless the food, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.